OTB AM. I was really triggered. We don't want Johnny Sexton having any part of any Netflix curse ahead of the World Cup. OTB AM. Live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. Off the ball, daily. It is Monday night, it's off the ball, it's Adrian with you between now and 10 this evening. You're very welcome along to the show and we've an absolutely stacked show for you uh, for the next three hours as well. Six Nations is here, or nearly here at least. Gordon Darcy is going to join us uh, for Monday Night Rugby. He looked a little bit back at the URC over the weekend, but mainly looking ahead to uh, the uh, upcoming Six Nations. Colin Boyle, uh, plenty of talking points from the opening weekend of the National Football League. Wherever it is you're at in the country, we'd love to hear from you. If you have any thoughts on how your team went or uh, the biggest takeaways for your county after the opening weekend, send them in to us. Kevin Kilban is going to talk to us about the appointment of Sean Dyche in the last few hours as new Everton manager. Can he save them? He must save them, I think is the main uh, takeaway from Kevin Kilban. And we'll get that as well as his thoughts on Evan Ferguson after another bloody impressive weekend for the Irish youngster in Brighton Colours albeit that he left with an injury in the end Andy Naylor who covers Brighton for The Athletic will talk Ferguson and uh, Brighton generally as well as well as Aaron Connolly and the possibility of a potential return for him uh, to Brighton down the track and we're going to look back as well on the 2023 Australian Open Caitlin Thompson from RacketMag.com will join us at about half past eight this evening Richie McCormack good evening to you AB how are you? Very good Dave McIntyre good evening to you Adrian how are you? You're in full commentator mode Dave Good to see. Uh, look, do whatever it takes to make the sound as well as possible. Is that the bunker from where you uh, you do your Six Nations commentaries as well? or? <laughs> Absolutely not. No, no. Uh-huh. It's, um, my bunker for Six Nations will look an awful lot better than this, uh, particularly this weekend. I'm privileged enough to be in Cardiff this Saturday for Virgin Te- Media Television. We have the game live from the Principality Stadium. I cannot wait. Every Six Nations stadium has its own special sense to it whenever you're there but for some reason for me Cardiff has always stood above the rest it's it's incredible whether you're going as a fan or, or whether you're working the the tightness of the city and the ground and as Gordon Darcy was saying earlier on the hotels everything's like stacked on top of each other in a way that none of the other cities really are yeah, well, when you walk out of the Principality, you're literally in the city centre. It's like as if Croke Park was right there between Crafton Street and O'Connell Street, although Croke Park's obviously pretty central. And then just the nature of the stadium, the way it was built, it was one of the great new stadia when it was built for the 99 World Cup. The steepness of the stands, obviously sometimes when the roof is closed, the atmosphere is enclosed within and you almost feel like the stadium is sweating in the atmosphere. And the Welsh probably sing better than any other rugby uh, following nation when the choirs get going beforehand and they tend to sing their anthem and bread of heaven during the game as well and they, uh, there's nothing like it the thing that I always appreciated most was the because you'd be working if you were there at games obviously you'd be doing a few interviews afterwards it'd be all hours by the time you get out depending on what time kickoff was at uh, it was really handy to go for a pint afterwards that was yes. the, uh, it was always the, a very important part of any agenda <laughs> And maybe sometimes more than one. Um, yes. But uh, yeah, no, look, I'm uh, I'm excited, Dave and Richie. I'm very excited because the Six Nations is back. Uh, we're headed head, uh, headlong into it. I'm excited because... What cheeses have you got in, Adrian? <laughs> That's TBC, Richie. A very good shout <laughs> and, a, and a timely reminder. So thank you for that. I'm excited because Rory crushed, re- crushed Reed in the ultimate battle of uh, good versus evil and good won. I'm excited because Evan Ferguson is possibly go- and most likely going to be the greatest Irish footballer of all time. I'm excited uh, because the league is back and it's brilliant and it was brilliant at the weekend. And I'm excited because the CCC, CCC are meeting probably at this very minute and hopefully, although who the hell knows how, uh, the whole thing is going to come to an end um, in relation to the club final very, very soon. So I'm just generally excited, lads. What's, what's um, out of all that list there, 
feel free to add your own, both of you. What's what's doing it for you this evening? Off you go, Richie. Uh, Meath being back, Adrian. Right. Firmly back, firmly being contenders under Colm O'Rourke. De- definitely a not brilliant... a, a blip, Richie. No, definitely definitely, 100% not a blip. I think they showed that during the O'Byrne Cup that the foundations are there <laughs> for a decent season under Rourke. And I think yesterday going down to, what? Well, let's be honest, it's not an easy place to go to, Porky Cueve. I'm playing a, a Cork team that have been in the last couple of years uh, on an upward trajectory. Uh, to go there to put in such a fine second half display, score two eight, I think it was in the second half, and to see off Cork. Uh, I think the, the 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 initial signs and the initial kind of uh, sh- green shoots are there for Colin O'Rourke, and if he can build on that going through the 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 spring and into the summer, who knows what might lie ahead for those in green and gold this year, Adrian. Another weekend where um, a footballer con- called Shane Walsh has made the headlines, which is my big uh, takeaway from that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not at all confusing. What are you having, Dave? Well, I, you wake up on a Monday morning and you're looking ahead to the sporting week and usually you have to wait until at least Tuesday or Wednesday for something to present itself. But to be able to sit uh, at home after the school run this morning and watch the back nine in Dubai was top class entertainment. It's just a shame that two, the two of them, McElroy and Reed, weren't part of the same three ball. But it was brilliant watching them chase him down. The boat made mistakes on the back nine. They were perfect conditions. There were bogeys as well as a plethora of birdies for both sets of players. They started the week as being the headline story. They finished the week with the two of them being the headline story. And it was a brilliant way for him to finish. Part of me wanted a playoff because it would have made for gripping television to see the two lads having to shake hands and if it was the 18th tee to go again. But at the same time, it was a, a brilliant way for McElroy to finish. And Although in his post-round interview, he did say he felt there was an awful lot of his game that was wrong this week and that he had an awful lot to work on to pick up where he left off last year, finishing the season as the Race to Dubai winner on the back of a, a year in which he won four times and contended in all of the majors. It was great to see him, his first outing of 2023, to win. So I think it takes a little bit of pressure off him immediately and he can fine-tune his, his game as we get towards March and April and the real teeth of the season. I'm sure like the people who are nearest and dearest to Patrick Reed um, had find that he has a lot of uh, redeeming features about him. I mean, possibly not some of those people who uh, you might expect, given the well-documented um, falling out he's had with some of his, uh, some of his family. Uh, he's just, he's not a very likable person. And I have to say, like, I, it was uh, the, Rory, you're obviously cheering for Rory because it's Rory, or I was anyway. But I, I sort of felt that no matter who was up against Patrick Reed, he had, uh, you know, he had the vast majority of people behind him, uh, against him, I should say. Um, but it was it was justice, Dave. It was uh, the good battle of good versus evil. I presume that's the way you were spinning it as well. <laughs> well, if, if there can be good versus evil in professional golf, where everybody involved in the top 100 is minted and has already more money than they will ever be able to spend... But uh, it's for me, it's one of the reasons why many occasions this year and next, the European Tour will, be, will make for better viewing than the PGA Tour because as things stand, legally as things stand, and that could change in the weeks to come, obviously, the live golfers are entitled to play in the big European Tour events. And I enjoyed watching the, a leaderboard that had McElroy at the top and he was being chased down by Beesberger, by Poulter, by Patrick Reed. I just thought that was really interesting. And obviously, for the moment and for the foreseeable, you will not see that in a PGA Tour event. I like Patrick Reed because he's brilliant to watch. I love his swing. I love the way he grinds things out on the golf course. He's obviously an utterly dislikable character. But in ways, many ways, that is why I like him as a golfer because it's, um, it's something that Liv has taken away from your average Sunday night viewing. They've taken a lot of the 
more dislikable guys from the PGA Tour were talking Poulter, Westwood, Garcia, mm-hmm. Reed, DeChambeau, Kepka. A lot of guys that have some qualities that you wouldn't exactly describe as redeeming, and they're all missing. So I just made this morning even more gripping, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. The sport has so much like contrived rivalries, right? And like these sort of contrived hatreds, and they sort of boil up. Like you heard Warren Gatlin talking the week during the week about the um, Netflix documentary and the way he's slightly concerned about things that might get said that you don't really mean. Just the heat of battle, and you're trying to get a team wound up. These people hate each other. I would like pay to watch this stuff on a week if there was like some sort of a Ryder Cup style live golf versus uh, you know good versus evil. I would I would pay to watch that weekly. <laughs> Look, who knows where all this is going to end up? They may come to the PJ Tour and Live Golf may come together in a room and end up with some sort of a scenario that pits themselves against each other for a mutual uh, financial reimbursement at some stage in the future. And we've no idea where this will go, but uh, I can see why that would make for uh, interesting television. All right. As long as they continue hating each other, Dave, is what I'm saying. Like I'm not just. It can't be anything contrived about this. It can't be like oh, we're mates behind the scenes, but like we're sort of you know. Um, Pay, you can pay us then to hate each other. I want it to be real. Um, but anyway, yeah, look, at it. it was good and it was great that Rory got over the line, of course. The uh, Evan Ferguson stuff, lads, I don't know, Richie, were you uh, watching the game yesterday morning? Like, the yeah. the, the <clears throat> injury was, geez, the tackle was off the charts bad. And I have to say, when I was watching it live, I didn't quite cop it first time around. But, geez, first replay, you're thinking, how does this guy stay on the pitch? But that notwithstanding, um, <clears throat> this, this guy is somebody to be excited about. I think what you saw in the wake of the the injury and the tackle was how many hopes are pinned on this guy. Uh, he the reaction to him going off injured and to Nathan's video then subsequently of him leaving the Amex on crutches, it shows that we have our hopes pinned on this guy in a way that I don't think even the Troy Parrots and the Michael Abafemis and Jason Knights and whoever else have, have come to the boil in the last couple of years in an Ireland jersey have had. He is. And looks like, and I think anybody whose opinion you'd respect, and there's a lot of people from outside of an Irish football bubble, really do think that this guy has it and can build on what he has already done, which by the age of, of, of 18, 19 is already uh, pretty freakish. He's got the build of a, a really top-level striker. He's got the sensibilities and the instincts of a top-level striker. And if we can get the best out of that, or um, get the best of that in an Ireland jersey in the coming years, uh, then, like like mentioned, when Gareth Bale retired, look at what he did for a really average international team. If you have one player, if you're an international team with one exceptional player, then that can raise a lot of boats. Mm. Uh, he and he just like he has a bit of everything, Dave. Like that's the, geez, it, you know, he nearly has too much going on from an Irish point of view in the sense that like you know we need somebody to lash the ball into the back of the net. There might be a temptation to sort of play him a bit deeper. I don't know, but uh, the excitement levels are off the charts in my house for him anyway. There's a maturity to him that we didn't see with Aaron, the likes of Aaron Connolly and Adam Ada, for example. They're, they have a real rawness to them and probably in some way still do, despite their being a lot further down the career path than, our, than Evan Ferguson. He, he has a subtleness to him that he carries himself with the age of a man way beyond his years. It's hard to believe he's only 18. I actually, I played golf with him in some event. It was a, a charity event months ago. He was only 17 at the time. I couldn't believe how big he was. It was just, and obviously most professional athletes look big standing beside me, but the height of him, the physicality that he just had with his gait, the way he carried himself, and obviously he will put on weight. He will bulk up as he gets more and more years of strength and conditioning under his belt. And I like that to his maturity, his ability to hold the ball up, his instinctive finishing. The tackle itself was a shocker. And 
I'll throw out that cliched line. I don't think Fabinho is that type of player. You could tell from his reaction straight away that that was an, a, a reckless tackle that he, he didn't intend to make and shouldn't have made. But Fabinho was standing there waiting to be sent off. Not only when he was shown a yellow, he stood there afterwards explaining to his teammates how the red was coming and it didn't come. And you have to wonder, <laughs> what is the point of VAR? The video assistant referee yesterday should be suspended because if you can get away with a tackle like that, on review, whatever with the referee missing it straight up on first viewing. Well, the person in the um, VAR office clearly is not doing their job and probably isn't capable of doing the job properly. I thought Andy Robertson was lucky not to be sent off. Kanata was lucky not to be sent off. Liverpool were a bit of a rabble in that second half and on a worse day for them could have finished the game with eight men. But um, I'm just, I'm hoping that the tackle and the uh, fall out of consequences of it are far less serious than it initially looked yeah there's no uh, degree of sort of uh, update um, really as to where where he's at on it and uh, you you probably assume at this point the look at who knows the Latvia game is upcoming and the more important France game a few days after that we shall uh, we shall see what happens on that front was is he you play golf with him is he is he actually only six foot only six foot I, say, uh, I, t- I got the impression he was taller than that now I didn't actually ask him what his I didn't ask him for his and you're no measurement David you say yourself well, no, you couldn't really decide how tall somebody was standing beside me. Because he just looks like such a presence when he's, you know, even even backing into those that, those Liverpool defenders uh, defenders yesterday and against uh, against other other players like big units. He's very um, he's really got the physical thing going on. He does. Uh, I, we we need to speak to someone about that knows an awful lot more about his game than than you or I. But I don't know how quick he is. Does he have that yard of pace that's that's required to really get you into the top echelon of of strikers in Europe? Is he short of that? I don't know that yet. But mm-hmm. he's clearly a good finisher. The cre- the assist that he put in for the second Liverpool or goal against Liverpool in the Premier League three weeks ago shows that he can be a creator as well, works incredibly hard. And the manner in which he's improved so much over the last six months would have you believe that he is, uh, he's going to mature quickly and that he's, his, his um, learning curve isn't maybe as steep as it might be for other strikers of his age. Uh, a few texts coming into us. Rory versus Reid was the business. Why is there not more Monday morning uh, sport? Wonders Tig and Dundrum. I suspect uh, productivity levels. If uh, if I was in to go by this morning at ten o'clock, productivity levels might be uh, might be low. Tig. Uh, Michael and Arklow says, "Ah, stop. Rory wins in a weak field while the real action was in America." Um, lads, enough golf is muck. Uh, so does that mean that's okay. Don't know what to do with that. Um, and Roy uh, says on Evan Ferguson here, his stature and all-around game by comparisons to Benzema is Evan better than the real thing. Um, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, they, they do apologise, to be fair. And then Anthony Mayo wonders uh, for you, Richie, a Cork team on an upward trajectory, really. Have you been watching them in the last few years? I mean, James, I don't know who would agree with you, Richie. Yeah, uh, and uh, we've all been watching Mayo as well, to be fair. So uh, we can probably make <laughs> our own trajectories if you want to. Side swipe there. Right, the news <laughs> round brought to you by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. It's uh, quarter past seven this evening, or just about uh, gone. Quarter past seven. Good news uh, from Australia, Richie, where you're going to kick yeah. things off for us? This one just broke in the last few minutes. The Republic of Ireland's opening game at the Women's World Cup has been moved due to ticket demand. Their Group B encounter with co-hosts Australia on July 20th was due to be held at the 42,000 capacity Allianz Stadium in Sydney. They're going across town, though. The game has been moved to the 83,000 capacity Stadium Australia, which, of course, hosted the 2000 Olympic Games. 
Yeah, that's great news. The demand is there. People want to get to it. I mean, there's a massive Irish community, obviously, over there on top of the people that will travel. But, I mean, they had obviously set their stall out and made their peace with the fact that it was going to be the 42,000 and that'd be enough. You'd hope that uh, it doesn't end up in an 82,000 with like 50,000 or 60,000 at it because, you know, at that point, obviously, it'll look a bit um, half empty. But uh, you assume they're taking a pretty good gamble on it, Dave. Yeah, well, it's, isn't it good they're in a position where they've underestimated the, the ticket demand for a game such as this and they are now in a position where they need to look elsewhere for for a suitable home for these sorts of games as opposed to going the other way and thinking the women's game was somewhere that it wasn't and we are looking at half-empty stadia. It's, it's a great indicator this far out from the World Cup as well that it could be an unbelievable tournament to watch. And It doesn't really matter whether it's the men's game, the women's game, whether it's an under-20 World Cup, whatever level it is, if you've got packed stands it just gives the viewer the feel that this is a huge occasion and the protagonists in this case the women's teams in the world cup this year it just brings more out of them as well we saw it at the european championship as well particularly when england were playing at home that a full stadium just tends to bring everybody up not just the players themselves but everybody off the field as well there's there's an awful lot more few weeks and months to run for the hype machine to gain momentum by the time this kicks off it really should be something special to look forward to. Yeah, by the time Chelsea's Katie McCabe leads, leads Ireland out, which <laughs> yeah. that, that we're thinking here. Yeah, it looks like it. Yeah, we'll see what happens with that over the next while as well. Uh, <clears throat> right, Everton have a new man. Yeah, Sean Dyche confirmed today as Everton's new manager. Indeed, there's already pictures emerging of him taking training and wearing the life out of his players. Uh, the former Burnley boss replaces Frank Lampard, who was sacked last week with the club second from bottom in the Premier League table. Dyche has signed a two-and-a-half-year contract at Goodison Park and wants to see hard work from his players. Firstly, anyone can take the wheel of a ship in calm waters. It's not calm waters at the minute. But you have to earn the right. So that's my job, to start by earning the right for me as a manager and for my team. You know, it's not a given. We've got to make sure the people are getting something. What I would say is we want to put out a team that works, a team that can fight, a team that can wear the badge with pride beyond just tactical and technical. Of course, they're massive parts of the game. But that feel of a club, you know, I've always thought... I've got to learn this, but I've always felt and thought that, you know, the feel of the fans here, they don't mind the ball being put at risk, they don't mind you playing forward, but they want people who are going to work, who are going to run. So I've got to put that in. And it's not that it's not there, by the way. I'm not questioning any manager that's ever been here. I've got to imprint my feeling and my style on it. And that's part of what I do. And hopefully, with a bit of hard work from my staff, with a bit of hard work from the players, we can reignite that passion of the fans because it's still there. You've seen it. You know, we... Me, the team, the fans need a chance to definitely find that alignment. That's going to be a really important thing. But it starts with us as a team, starts with me as a manager to allow that to happen and to give the fans so they can start re-gripping old of the club through the team. And that's what I want. That's what I'm going to be working to. And then we can add in the technical, the tactical, and hopefully some good play as well and give the fans that side of it. But it starts with hard graft, literally the hard yards. And that's how we've got to start. And he needs some players, Richie. Yeah, one of them looks like it could be Conor Gallagher. Uh, Everton linked with the Chelsea midfielder today in a package which could be worth €51 million. Euro. It seems Gallagher uh, wants to stay at Chelsea, but other factors might get in the way there. Everton also linked today with Ren winger Kalmadine Suleimana. Uh, PSV Eindhoven and Newcastle among the other clubs linked with him. I was putting it to Kevin Kilban earlier, Dave, that uh, it was a good deal for Everton in the sense that Dyche signed a two and a half year contract. So that if they do go down, that at least have somebody there with a bit of nose to bring them back up. And he was like, no, 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 no. The, they cannot afford to go down. They've got to stay up. Yeah, it's not like Burnley were when they when they went down with Dyche. They, they 
maintained their the playing pool. They were able to pay the players a similar level of money because they'd never actually overextended themselves in the first place. And they were able to come straight back up from an Everton point of view. I'd agree with Kevin that they got down there in big, big trouble because they will not be able to hold on to anyone in that squad. And they're a club financially that are struggling already. So, look, the shortlist was incredibly short for this role, but he was the standout character for this position at the very start. I thought them going after Bielsa was a crazy scenario. I, they're lucky that he was, wasn't overly keen on doing it the way that Everton wanted him to do it because Dyche is just the sort of guy that they need to come in and shore things up at the back. It's the first thing they have to do. And it's not like he's taking over a club in absolute crisis because they're only a couple of points from safety. They're only six points off 13th, for example. A win or two, albeit it'll be tough this weekend against Arsenal. You're, you can shoot up that Premier League table really quickly. So the fact that the World Cup was on means, despite that we're in the end, at the end of January, that we're only halfway through the season. Normally there'd be three or four extra Premier League games played at this stage of the campaign. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if he turns this around pretty quickly because I think the Everton squad is actually far better than it's shown. They're certainly not playing to the sum of their parts in recent months. Uh, he's just the man they need. and I, I, I think he's going to turn it around. If that means just keeping them up, I think he'll do that this season. Was it last April? He uh, Burnley were 2-1 two, two, down at halftime against Everton and he walks into the dressing room and he said, listen lads, this shower don't know how to win a game. And now he's got to no, tiptoe back into that dressing room and go, listen lads, <laughs> about that, that's just, it's just game talk. Well, they've proven him right in the meantime, haven't they? <laughs> that's the spirit, Dave. That's, that's what he'll need to, uh, I was right about that. That's... First, his first speech. Uh, Golf Richie, uh, recap for anybody who wasn't glued to their <clears throat> TV this morning. Yeah, Rory McIlroy says he actually had to block out Patrick Reed's challenge as he claimed the Dubai Desert Classic this morning. Back-to-back birdies in his final two holes. Saw McIlroy win by a single stroke in the desert. The County Down golfer says the Reed factor gave him added incentive, but he had to put his personal feelings to one side. You know, I, I think mentally today was probably one of the toughest rounds I've ever had to play because it would be really easy to let your emotions get in the way. Um, and I, I just had to really concentrate on focusing on myself, uh, forget who was up there on the leaderboard. Um, and, and I did that really, really well. Um, you know, I, I feel like I, I showed a lot of mental strength out there today. And again, something to really build on for the rest of the year. I have to say, Dave, I was definitely one of those in the camp that felt that he needed to get the business done on 18, like given his recent relationship with the water on that hole, given his tee shot off 18 uh, with his la- for his last hole of the entire week. It just felt like um, Reid had played it so well previously that it would have been big time advantage Reid had he not holed out. Yeah, he got lucky with his tee shot. McElroy was a couple of feet away from it, been in the water and all bets were off and that entered the drink. So I think that made his decision for him. And as you say, the history that he has that hold, stuck it in the water last year, cost himself the tournament, stuck it in the water yesterday in his third round. It probably made it easy for him to do what he did. And then he just has to trust his wedge game. Wasn't the greatest wedge shot he ever hit, but he gave himself a really good chance. Obviously, there's always the chance you're going to try and be too cute with that wedge shot and end up sticking it in the water in front of the green. And his putting has just been transformed over the last nine months. And he's gone from way down the putting stats and the wedge stats to topping them in some cases. And to hold a putt to win the tournament like that just set him up for the year. Yeah, absolutely yeah. incredible. But the, the handshake, I mean, I presume there would have been a handshake. There would have had to have been a handshake. Ah, yes. And look, they, they both just would have done whatever it takes to put that behind them just for that 
15, 20 minutes when they're in the middle of the playoff. Would have been interesting to see what was being said afterwards in the press conferences. But yeah, there would have been a handshake. They would have just gone about their business. You, otherwise, you turn it into something that it doesn't necessarily have to be. And you probably end up actually giving your opponent an advantage. I would have backed Reed in that playoff. I, I think um, it was McElroy, him getting the job done on 18 and regulation was absolutely crucial. Yeah, he did yeah. show serious cojones, Reed. To be fair to him, on eighteen to go for it, and then uh, and then get the birdie to put the pressure on, which set it up just nicely. Um, one addition to Andy Farrell's squad for the initial stages of Six Nations, at least, Richie. Yeah, the uncapped Ulster hooker Tom Stewart has been drafted into the Ireland squad today. The 22-year-old is to provide cover with Renan Kelleher nursing a hamstring injury. Kelleher hasn't been ruled out of Saturday's Six Nations opener with Wales in Cardiff, but he will be managed by the medical team this week. This week. Crow Park is. Uh, Busy this evening. It is indeed, yeah. The lights are on tonight because representatives of Kilmacud, Croaks and Glen are appearing before the CCCC tonight. Glen have appealed to the result of last week's All-Ireland Club football final as Croaks had 16 active players on the pitch for the of the game. Croaks themselves have lodged their own counter-objection to Glen's appeal and it's believed that they have no interest in replaying the final. I have to say, Dave, I can't see how this one ends. I can't see the outcome. Yeah, neither do I. Then we look. Part of me feels that a rip replay is the is the fairest outcome. But at the same time, if that is ga- game is replayed and Glenn win it, it's surely the most tainted All Ireland title of in in living memory. No one will ever feel that Glenn have won it fairly. And if the game isn't replayed, there'll be an awful lot of people that feel the Croaks haven't won it fairly. Mm-hmm. So how they find their way out of this quagmire. It's a mess of their own making in many ways, but obviously the GAA can't be responsible really for some of the decisions that were made by the officials in the moment. Like redoing some reading around it, Glenn asked for that 45 to be retaken yeah, because yeah. it was discovered that Darren Mullen was still in the field. And if the referee turns around and says, go on, take that again, the whole mess is sorted out straight away. Mm-hmm. And there are an awful lot of people within the association that wish things had happened in, in that way at the time. But as you say, well, what's the end game? I just don't know what it is. It's, it's, it's an awful mess. It's impossible to know. And I don't know. Like the, the, all the soundings out of Croaks are that they don't want they don't want a replay and they won't offer a replay and it won't be had. So I mean, I don't know. I think the I actually think the time for getting in the room has passed. I think they should have done that uh, this night last week. We shall see what the uh, if there's smoke of any variety from Croke Park a bit later on. Chelsea hoping to dip before the window shuts, Richie. Yeah, they are indeed. Benfica's board meeting this evening to discuss Chelsea's bid for Enzo Fernandez. Chelsea have offered a British record 120 million euro package for the midfielder that Benfica signed for just 10 million back in June. Fernandez helped Argentina win the World Cup in December, of course, scoring in their group win over Mexico. Some reaction to the gaff from the weekend? Yeah, Kerry's defence of the Allianz Football League Division 1 title began with a contentious defeat in Bally Buffet. Jack O'Connor's side lost by 13 points to 1-9 to Donegal, but speaking to Radio Kerry afterwards, O'Connor says Quaylen McGulligan's first half point for the hosts should not have stood. Fierce disappointing after the, after coming that journey and, and, and the lads put in a great shift and, and gave it their all, but we, 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 you know, we just felt a bit short. I just felt we didn't get any breaks. I mean, the, <laughs> the point that... The point that, that the umpire allowed for Donegal there in the first half was the most bizarre decision I've ever seen in my life. A yard, if not two yards away. So um, that's what happens. That's a big decision when the well, game is Well, it's a big decision when it's, the game is decided by a point, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jacko, Jacko off to a fiery start. That is all we have time for the news round for this evening. Richie, thank you. Dave, give us the details again. Saturday. 
Yeah, Saturday Ireland Wales Cardiff opening round. It's live on Virgin Media too on our player and. I mean, I wish it was tomorrow. Can't wait. Well, we also have the 20s game as well, live Friday night, which should be a very interesting one. Ireland going in, of course, as defending Grand Slam champions. Who have you got on uh, co-commentary? Do you know yet? Myself and Mr. Quinlan ah, will be in Colwyn team. Bay Friday night and then in the Cardiff City Centre Saturday afternoon. The dream team. Good stuff. Looking forward to it. <laughs> Thanks, Come on. guys. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Richie. Thanks, lads. OTBAM. I was really triggered. We don't want... Johnny Sexton having any part of any Netflix curse ahead of the World Cup. OTB AM, live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app.